All right, so to kind of get us thinking tonight, because um, we've all been at different places and going through, you know, some of us have been at work, some of us have been, had days off, some of us just came from doing ministry other places. What, um, what is something that gives you comfort in your life? Sleep. Sleep. Okay, so can you talk about that a little bit? Like, how does comfort give you, how does sleep give you comfort? Oh, not having to think about anything. Okay. Nice. What else? What's something that gives you comfort? Familiarity. Familiarity. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. So just like being in a place where you don't have to like wonder how you fit in or how to like yeah, get to places. Okay. Yeah. All right. Structure. Structure. How does structure give you comfort? Uh, just knowing that I have a set schedule that I can go off of. You like that rhythm? Yeah. Okay. Cool. I think it's really comforting to be around people that you know you can trust. Because I've spent a lot of time around people where I can't totally say what I'm thinking or like really be me. And it just drains your soul. So okay. around people that you can be authentic with is huge. Okay. Nice. This is maybe a, a little more difficult question to... Um, answer but what gives you courage like what gives you like the belief that like I can do something or to like give you the confidence to step out and try something new being a mom okay talk about that a little bit uh, every single day is a new day and I am a first time mom so I have no idea what I'm doing so we just wing it, and sometimes things work, and sometimes things don't, but it makes me feel pretty good when things do work, and mm-hmm. we can call those successes, and also advise others who are going through the same. Yeah. So. All right. Cool. What gives you courage? I guess if I'm doing something for someone. Okay. Or, like, if it'll benefit not just me. Okay. But also, <laughs> so like motivate you. Yeah. Like, okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Anybody else? Something that gives you courage or strength? I'd say like reassurance and just having like a good support group, and just people there cheering you on, like even at your lowest, just always there for you, and stuff like that. That helps me a lot. Yeah. So. As we get into the rest of the, we've, the last couple of weeks, we did kind of the first chapter of Revelation is the kind of this setup. It's, it's Jesus in like a, a really different way than you see in the rest of the Bible. And then last week we were in Revelation 2 and 3, and that's really like these letters written to very specific churches about very specific issues. And we kind of talked about that it was really difficult to be a Christian in the Roman empire in the first century because you have all these other religions of the Romans that you were expected to give, you know, worship to, including they had a whole, you know, religion based around whoever was the emperor. So you'd have to go to like the emperor's temple and give an offering or give a financial offering. And then that would give you the like social acceptance. And so, for Christians to say like you only have one God 
like that poses a problem. And so they are having to navigate where they were going to just kind of go with the crowd and kind of compromise or whether they're going to like make a stand and maybe be rejected and be social outcasts. And so they were constantly navigating this. And so as you get into chapter four and really into the rest, if you think about revelation as like a structure, the first part probably was written at the end. So starting where we're going to start tonight was really like this vision. John is one of the original disciples with Jesus. He's imprisoned on this Island for his faith. And, um, and he's writing, you know, Jesus is like basically dictating some stuff to him, but then the rest of this is a vision. So you think about like the closest thing I can say is like, imagine having like a very vivid dream that you're kind of like conscious as you're having it. And so John is having a vision, like while he's in prison on this Island, he has this vision of a whole bunch of things. And really, if you think about it, starting from Revelation 4 on, it's the why. So last week when we looked at Revelation 2 and 3, there's like, you know, words of encouragement and kind of words of critique. It's basically like the report card of all these churches. And he's encouraging them to like stand firm and be strong and have courage and all those sorts of things. Um, now we're kind of getting into like the why. Like why should you take – why should you have courage? Like why is this important? Why should you care about this stuff? And so that's – and, and really the, a major theme of – the rest of Revelation, really the whole book of Revelation is the idea that God is the, actually the true king. So they're surrounded by a culture that says the Roman emperor is literally God in human form. Like that's what they believed. That's what they taught. So, I mean, that's why those things are emphasized in the Gospels with Jesus, that Jesus is the king of kings. They're making kind of a political statement like, no, like – the emperor isn't king, like Jesus is king. Jesus is the king of kings. That's what that literally means. And so we're going to see the throne room of heaven. Like what does it mean for Jesus to be king? What does it mean for God to be king? We're going to get a glimpse. And so we talked about um, in the very first week and kind of recap last week, the, the word revelation means to, what's the other word for it? People who have been here for a couple weeks. It's a word that's sometimes misused in our culture. Apocalypse. So um, the original Greek would say the apocalypse of St. John. Translated in English, it's, it's the revelation. And apocalypse means, re, re, revelation means revealing. And so essentially, God is going to pull the curtain back. Like you see everything, you interact with the world like this. You see that's a blue wall and that's a window and there's trees out there. There's people, and we see the world at a very practical level. Now John's getting the veil pulled back and said, here's all the spiritual things happening behind the scenes. So a lot of there's I grew up learning that basically everything from here on out is in the future. In the last 20 years or so, I've done a lot more study, and I would say now the themes in Revelation from here on out are things that refer to things that already happened, things that currently happen, and things that will happen. So there's like, if you think about history, it tends to be like cyclical. You know, there's like this happens, which leads to this happening, which leads to this happening. 
Um, that happens in the Bible too. You see a lot of like repeats of things. And so you're gonna, there's going to be actually in chapter four tonight, we're going to get a ton of callbacks to the Old Testament. There's a lot of imagery from the Old Testament in this. So we're going to kind of jump in to all of that. Um, so um, I'm going to dive in. If it's too dark in here, we can turn on the fluorescence. I just hate fluorescent light with a burning passion. So if we can go without it, I would love that. Like Drew, Drew and I know, like our offices, like we literally do not turn on the regular lights. We have lamps because, yeah. So, but if it's hard to see, we'll make it happen. So right up, right off the bat in chapter four. Well, let me just do this. I want to read all of chapter four. What I want you to do as you're going is like take note. Some of you guys have notebooks. Some of you guys can just like take mental note. But take note of things that you're like, what? Huh? And then we're going to kind of go at it that way. And so the last couple of weeks I've had like a TV up here with like PowerPoint and like doing all that. We're kind of moving away from PowerPoint. And now it's going to be a little bit more of we're going to do this as a more of a conversation. So, um, so I'm just going to read. And just as things stick out to you, you can underline. If you have your phone, you can highlight. Um, if you, yeah, like I said, if you want to take notes on your phone, um, or you have notebook, like however you want to do this. But it says, after this, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice, my, eyes, my old eyes can't even work now. Well, look at this. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby, a rainbow that, sh that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing, and there were seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like the sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes, in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. So there's a lot there. What sort of immediately kind of jumps out at you as you as you kind of read through that or heard that I just, oh, go ahead. Oh, I just saw like the repetition of like the, tw the 24 thrones and the 24 elders i was just wondering if that like represented something yeah it probably does yeah num so numbers always always represent something 
in Revelation. So it's a good catch. So let's let's think about that for a minute. So what what um well what's what's twenty four divided by I, two? I was thinking it's like the tribes of Judah. Yeah. Israel. Absolutely. So it's actually so what you see so there's the twelve in the Old Testament are the tribes of Israel. What's the twelve in the New Testament? The twelve disciples. Twelve disciples. And so the 24 is basically representative of like God's people in the Old Testament, God's people in the New Testament, like united in heaven, surrounding and giving worship to God is essentially. So that's, just, yeah, it's a great, really good catch right off the bat. So we got kind of, so that's why I say we're going to, we're going to, we're going to see a lot of Old Testament stuff. What else do you see in that passage? Anything that, any other imagery that reminds you of anything in the Old Testament? Those of you who have kind of spent years like going to Sunday school or hearing kids Bible stories maybe even there's there's a lot of Old Testament imagery in that first especially the first um, man my eyes are really getting bad we need more fluorescent the first <laughs> I don't want to do it um, and the, let's just go to the first six oh, verses also it mentions the rainbow I know that's a recurring yeah so where is a rainbow really prominent in the Old Testament? Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark. And what was the what was the rainbow about? Signifying the covenant that he would never flood the earth again. Yeah, it, it was like it was basically like God's promise that he he makes this judgment to the to the world in you know the beginning of the Bible. This is a recap of like God is keeping this covenant, this promise of a covenant is you know we have it in our name but a covenant is just really like it's a it's a solemn agreement we talk about the covenant of marriage like when two people come together in marriage it's a covenant so when you see that whenever you see that rainbow it's like this is god saying like i am still keeping this promise that i made way back in the beginning of the bible man good this is this is good good stuff guys what else do you see this might be I feel like it talks about a lot like in the bible refers to trumpets and i know that's because it's like back then like that was a, a loud thing it'd be like you know pa system today and so just like when i heard a voice speaking to me like a trumpet like it's kind of like just a loud you know and so that reminds me of like stuff in the old testament mm-hmm. like people use trumpets to like use it as a warning or like at the deer Joshua, the battle of Jericho. Yeah, it's basically like a trumpet is kind of like security system. So like you would have people standing on the walls of a walled city. And if there was somebody intruder, they would blare a trumpet. It would be a call like to attention, like pay attention to this, be on alert. So whenever it talks about Jesus voice, like a trumpet, it's like pay attention to what I'm saying to you. This is really important. Yep. That's good. Yeah. What about the, um, The lightning and the thunder and all that kind of stuff. Does that remind you of anything in the Old Testament? I'm going on like totally out of order, but we'll, we'll get, I think we'll cover it as we go. Where, where was that verse? Um, Five. Yeah. Something around Moses. Well, 
This is after that. This is after that. What, what is something that, Mo, besides like leading people through the Red Sea, what else is Moses when, known really for? Yeah, like when he goes up on the mountain. Yeah, when he goes up on the mountain, there's like lightning and thunder. And so, again, like this is John recapping, or actually, you know, Jesus is showing John this vision of like, of recapping, like, okay, this is, again, this is like part of the commitment. This is part of, you know, recapping. I'm a, I'm a God that's made this, co- that's also part of the covenant that God made with his people. Like these are the, if you live by these kind of guidelines, like we will coexist as a people. I mean, if you think about, think about the 10 commandments, it's a little bit of a sidebar, but you know, a lot of times we say like, man, what's up with Christianity? And like people think about Christianity as like a bunch of rules, but think about like, how well society would work if we live by the Ten Commandments. Like, don't murder people. Good idea. Don't commit adultery. Also, good idea. Don't steal stuff. Good idea. You know, like, there's a lot of, like, it was the idea of all of the stuff in the Old Testament was like, I want to make you the shining example for the rest of the world of, like, this is how we were supposed to live together. They never could do it. But that was the whole point was like, you you know, way back in Genesis 12, you know, God says to Abraham, I want you to go and be a blessing to all the people of the earth. And he gives them these guidelines so they could be. And instead of like sharing that with the world, they like just kept it to themselves and were greedy and then bad things happen. So it's just, but this is a recapping, like even though people don't always follow through, like God is continuing like to hold up his end of the bargain. Um, I'm going to just run through a couple other things. Um, the beginning where it says after this, that, um, in the very first verse that has thrown people off interpreters off a lot in history and Christians thinking like, that's where they get the idea of like this being in the future. But if you look at it in the context, we talk about, and I know Drew's talked about this before too, with, with some of the ideas, like the Bible isn't just like one kind of literature. It's like, you used a great example, Drew, that it's a lot, li- it's really a library. Like it's a library of different kinds of books. There's history books, there's poetry books. And if you think about like a dream, like I had dreams last night. I've had the weirdest dreams lately, by the way. I can't even, I had a dream with Arnold Schwarzenegger a couple weeks, a couple nights ago. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. No, I like, I was like at, Arl Schwarzenegger's house and he like broke down. I don't know. It was guys. I don't, I don't know. I have no idea what that was about. I need to talk to a psychiatrist or something. Cause it's very weird. But like, if you think about dreams, things just happen. Like I don't, they don't necessarily like, it's not necessarily sequential. It's just like, you know, if you're like telling your friend, like Drew, I had the weirdest dream last night. Like first I went to Arnold Schwarzenegger's house and then I had ice cream. Like those two things might not, it's just the sequence of how you experience them in your dream, right? That's when he says after this, it's just like, this is the next part of what I saw. It doesn't necessarily mean like this is happening afterwards. Although I will say this, if you look at the end of Revelation 3, he says, what it, he says that the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne. And the next chapter is about the throne room of God. So there is some correlation, but don't think, don't get so caught up in like 
mechanically like, well, what era is this happening or what time is this happening? Like that's not, this is a vision. It's a, we're, 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 this is like a really intense dream that God has given John. So don't think of it so like concretely or, or, or that much structure. So, okay. So you got, um, we've gotten to the rainbow part. Um, we've talked about the throne of God. I mean, you're in the throne room of God. Um, when he talks about being in the spirit, that's this whole idea of like God's giving him this vision. Um, so, and, and the one who was, was there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby. Well, what does that look like? What is it? What is, does anybody know what, a, I had to look it up today. Does anybody know what a Jasper stone looks like? Do you know what a ruby looks like? Yes. <laughs> What's a ruby look like? Uh, rubies are like cut down. They're red. <laughs> they're like red gemstones. So they're both actually red stones. Oh, wow. So Jasper. So now here's, again, Old Testament stuff. Um, in the Old Testament, there were high priests. The high priest went into the tabernacle or the temple on the day of atonement on Yom Kippur once a year to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. Does anybody know what a high priest in the old Testament, what they wore? Jasper and Ruby. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, that's part of it. <laughs> Red garments. Uh, what besides a robe, everybody wears robes besides a robe. What else do you think? What else do you know that, not related. It, it, it isn't, but it's a fun fact that they actually had a rope tied around their ankle so if God, if they did it wrong and God struck them dead, they could drag the body out and put another robe on them and have somebody else try the next year. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> this is true. So that's a fun little fact about the Old Testament. Is it the cool Pope hat <laughs> Yes, they did have a, a cool hat. Um, they had a breastplate, so they have a plate on their chest. You can Google this. And it had stones in it. It had, 12, it had a stone for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. The first stone and the last stone in the high priest's breastplate are Jasper and Ruby. So again, it's talking about Jesus. If you read the book of Hebrews, Jesus talks, is talked about as the great high priest. He is the intermediary between us and God. That when we pray to Jesus, like he's, that's the connecting point. And so again, like we're, we're, we're pulling back. That's why a lot of times it's so... I know the Old Testament's really hard, just like Revelation's really hard, because it's like, man, there's like all kinds of crazy things that happen. But literally, this is all meant to be together. Like, there is a narrative that goes through the whole thing. And so, like, knowing the Old Testament and knowing some of this historical stuff, it will make this make so much more sense. Um, So just a little encouragement. Like, don't give up on the Old Testament, because it really does... It really does um, help with understanding this stuff. Um, what else do you notice? So we got we got through there. We got the twenty four elders. We got some thunder and lightning. Verse eight. Yeah, yeah. Any ideas what a white robe might be? And actually, that was like in a lot of religions actually at the time wasn't just Christianity like that was like it would be generally understood by anybody you're like oh those are must be like people that are like set us set apart or they've been purified or they've been sanctified kind of a thing they didn't so. have our love of washing machines, so. 
Correct. They, <laughs> correct. They didn't, they not, the Maytag was not invented quite yet. As I have an observation, uh-huh. I want to prep this by saying this is not some vegan propaganda. I'm going to say, <laughs> hold on. I love okay. you, Drew. If you look at verse 6, it goes down to the end of verse 8. It talks about this ox, a lion, an eagle, and a human. These weird creatures. I think they have, yeah, six wings. Yeah, I want, I want to get into this. Eyeballs. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is also in Daniel, right? Yeah. This is weird vision in Daniel. And Ezekiel. Yes. Now, okay, so this is why it's not vegan. Probably. Okay? <laughs> my, my, my professor said that that right there represents all the different types of creatures that the, like, these ancient people saw. There's like the lion, which is the dangerous predator. Yep. There's the ox, which represents domesticated animals. Yep. Humans are obviously humans. And the eagle, I think it's like not just the birds of the air, but maybe it is just all. It, it's kind of like the equivalent of a lion, but in the sky. Like they felt like the eagle is like the king of the sky, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And so when it says down below, it says day and night without ceasing, they, talking about those weird creatures, holy, 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 the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. He said that he's a vegetarian because he does not eat fellow worshipers. Wow. Now, I only put that out there because both my New Testament professor and my ethics professor both said that like that's why they're vegetarian. They're also really good friends. Now, I'm not saying <laughs> sitting by eating those animals. I, I enjoyed my, my Burnett's tonight, so I'm I, 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 did, I, did, I did. But... Well... It, the, really, the, the whole point of it is to say that like, we oftentimes place ourselves at like, the center of the universe. And of course, Jesus did become a human being. Yeah. But what it, God is doing with our universe is all-encompassing. It's not like we're the center of this story. Yeah. But they, the whole universe is, being, is receiving God's grace. It's no, supposed I, to be harmonious across all creatures. No, that, that actually is dead on. I mean, it's dead on. I mean, if you look at... So this is where I also get a little bit like frustrated in how I learned about Genesis 1. Because again, I, I want to link the whole Bible together. Like Genesis 1, it was all, the whole thing was like creation, evolution. And like, was it 24 hours or was it? I don't think they cared at all. The people who wrote Genesis 1 did not, that was not the point. The point was God is king and God created Land. God created birds. God created fish. God created people. And if you look at the style of literature, it's the same. It's actually the same kind of literature as as um, Revelation four. So in a sense, like God's kingdom is everything you see. So it's not just like limited. To, and His throne is the earth, is the entire all of creation. And so how this ties into that is like is is to say all of creation like bows to god and the, the what's really important and what we're reading here what we're going to get into in the next chapter in a couple minutes here is god and jesus are on the same level you got to remember this is less than 60 years since jesus lived on the earth that this is being written and so, like, it's a, build, it's a bold claim to say this guy that actually lived on the earth was God. Like, that's a bit, I mean, be like saying for us, I mean, yeah, John F. Kennedy was actually God incarnate. But like, no, he wasn't. He's John F. Kennedy. Like, he's this dude. I saw him, you know, like, like 
But John's trying to make this point. Like, people are worshiping Jesus the same way they're worshiping God the Father on the throne. Now, Jesus, you always will see him, like, giving God, like, the primary spot. And it's like, you always see him, like, putting himself underneath. But they're equals. And they're both, like, they're both getting worship and they both deserve worship. Also, I think going back to Drew's point about the, 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 the living creatures... And the same thing with Genesis. All of those beings, the lion, the ox, the people, and the eagle, are all also things that were worshipped by people. So a lot of times, even like if you look at, um, again, it's a little controversial, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, I hate to break it to you guys, but Satan probably wasn't actually like a snake slithering around talking to Adam and Eve. Like what the author of Genesis is trying to tell you is that Satan's a false God. And the audience that was hearing Genesis one were, had just come out of Egypt. What do they worship in Egypt? Have you ever seen what, what, what animal is on a lot of the sphinxes and big stinking cobra? That was their God. And the commentary that the author of Genesis is trying to say is that God will deceive you. If you follow, if you give your loyalty to that cobra, it will deceive, deceive you. And that leads to death. That deception leads to death. Same thing with here. We're trying to say, don't worship a dude like the emperor, like everybody else tells you to do. Don't worship the eagle, which is on the standards of all the, the, the symbol of the, of the Roman legion was an eagle. They saw it everywhere. It was on all the banners, on all their standards. You know, don't worship this stuff. Worship the one. Worship the one God. Worship Jesus. Everything else. And so... God is deliberately showing this vision of like, these are all bowing down to the real God. All bowing down to the real God. Now, the whole thing with the eyes, um, the wings, I honestly don't really know. It's because there's other places in scripture, they have four wings, the six wings. I think the idea is just that it's kind of a universal representation. But the eyes, whenever you see something covered with eyes, it means like something is all seeing. It's all perceiving. It's, it's looking all over the place. So you're going to see that a couple other places. Um, thanks for throwing that in, Drew, because that, that is huge. That is really huge. I, I don't know this for sure, but I think, and it's really just like, it's not like, like totally concrete, but I think the wings just represent a level of freedom because we're earthbound. Like we can't just fly yeah. even though we want yeah. to. I think it represents like, the ability to like overcome yeah, yeah, yeah. or like strength or ascendance in something. Right. Cause you got to think of, I think that's, that's a great insight. Cause the, the, the reality is guys like the people's lives that are hearing this message are so difficult. They gotta be asking themselves every single day. Like, is it really worth following Jesus? Cause my life kind of sucks. Like giving my allegiance to, to, to this God, like really makes my life hard. And so like, these are the pictures of like, this is who you're worshiping. Like when you go to, when you pray or when you go to worship, like this is 
who you're worshiping. Like we get to like when you worship at on Sunday mornings or whenever you go worship, like this is who we're worshiping. Like this, this is happening as we speak. Like this scene is occurring right now. Like this, like scene with all the elders and all these creatures and all this stuff is happening as we sit here in this room. And whenever you worship, you are joining your voice to what is happening in this scene. So just like get like fired up by that. Like that should be, that should get you excited. Like this is, that's why, so some of you guys had me as a youth pastor and some of you guys were probably annoyed by this when you were middle schoolers, but like we would sing worship songs in the youth room and some of you are going to laugh and you know where I'm, you know where I'm going with this. And we would be singing songs like our God, like our God is greater, our God is stronger, our God is higher than every other. And like people would just look at me like with the deadest eyes. <laughs> and I know it's like Wednesday night and you've been in like seventh grade algebra all day and you're like tired. But we would be like, and I'm like, you guys know, like I get excited about stuff. So I'm like leading worship. I'm like, our God is greater. Like, our God is greater. Uh, and I would stop the songs. I would just be like, we can't do this. I can't worship the God in Revelation 4 with, God, you're pretty cool and it's awesome and I'm glad to be at church tonight. Like, I just can't do it. Because, like, just this picture, like, we get to, like, you get to pray to this God. And this God that has, like, lightning bolts and crap flying all over the place, like, listen, that, this is the God that listens to your prayers. So if you can't get excited about that, then we got to do something else, guys. This is, like, a big deal. I'm sorry, I get fired up. Podcast people, I'm getting fired up. I'm getting all sweaty up here, frothing at the mouth. I hope other people hear this. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm trying to make a way for this to like my the, the funk of my. Never mind. I'm just gonna hold a bit and cut out all of all like. No, this is what gives a character. This is what gives a character. I'm just imagining that. And it's almost like you're instilling fear into these kids to worship. No. Like you I, worship or I just want people that like are not a part of this group to hear this podcast. And so we're listening to like how fired up Tom is about revelation and about worshiping God. And then he's like, man, this funk that I have about me. I'm literally getting sweaty as I'm teaching the Bible. Like I just, I just, I mean, I get sweaty like breathing. So I mean, it's not. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Like Matt Foley up here or something like that. I'm just getting, I'm so excited. Um, all right. I'm just looking at my notes to make sure we covered all the prominent things. Oh, this is really, this is really important. Um, verse six. What do you think's going on there? The begin the whole sea of glass clear as crystal. So like, well, when I was thinking of this, I was actually thinking of a lot of New Testament imagery. Um, and so one thing that reminds me of it's like behind the throne are like flashes of lightning and thunder. Mm-hmm. And like there's this clear calm you're actually like very very close to like so to zoom out a little bit from that so that's a great example of anytime you see a sea in scripture sea represents chaos to somebody who is of a hebrew background which 
like all of this is like I meant to. I said this last week when they're talking about synagogue of Satan. Like, ooh, that sounds kind of anti-Semitic. Like, is this okay that we're no? Like, this is a Hebrew book. Like, the people who wrote this book are Jewish people. You know, it's it's rooted in like all of this imagery is Hebrew imagery, and so um, like when you see G or not G, but Peter like gets out of the boat and walks on the water towards Jesus in the middle of a storm. That is like the bravest thing anyone could ever do in their minds because a, a, a Hebrew person, like they don't have the same scientific method. They haven't sent a person into space to see. So they have a stacked, what they call stacked cosmology. So for them, like everything is like in layers. So it's like, this is the earth. Hell is down here. Underneath the water, at the bottom of the water is is probably hell too. And in the sky is where God lives. I mean, that's just kind of how they understood. Cause they didn't have like the ability to observe and see everything. So they thought of everything as being like a stacked thing. So literally if Peter walking towards Jesus, what he is risking is damnation because if he walks towards Jesus and he starts drowning and when he says, Lord, save me in his mind, he thinks, if I drown, I'm gonna, I might go to hell. And so I like they, so anytime you see water, especially water in like a storm, it represents just absolute terror, which is why a little bit of a spoiler alert, but when we get to the end of Revelation, it says there was not any sea. And the idea is that in when God's perfect kingdom comes into existence, there's no more chaos. Like all the chaos of our lives is gone. And so the fact that you have a sea which represents chaos being smooth as glass. It's what you said, what you hinted at, Joe. It's that God takes the chaos of life and calms it out. It makes it, like, takes all the ripples out, takes all the rough waters out. God calms that chaos. And also it represents, so when you would go into, and actually you see this in cathedrals still. When you go into cathedrals, you see that font of water to, you know, in the back, like the holy water. Same idea. That comes from the Old Testament too, where the high priest would come in and purify himself before he came to offer sacrifice. It's the same kind of idea. And so they call that, it also in some, in some circumstances called a sea as well. So it's almost like you've got this, it's a double meaning of like God purifying or you know, calming the waters, but it's also like it's a purification thing for God's people. So you kind of see all these pieces in, in place. Can I say one thing on that, yeah. like layers you were talking yeah. about? We have that worldview today as well. Like, think about how many times you're watching a sports game and someone goes, I don't even know what the heck they're doing. And they're like, <laughs> they think God is up there. And I think, and, I'm, and this could be like the longest tangent, so I'm not going to make it like that. But we, that is such like a dangerous thing. Because all these little kids that idolize these players, they think, oh yeah, God's up there. Like, we did it for God. If you if you think that God is like far away and he's disconnected from what we are, then that is a grim existence. Yeah. But if we like have the truly Christian worldview, then God is in all things, especially in us and the suffering. And that I think that's so important. So, but you can see like today in the like movies, TV, whatever, like Tom and Jerry, little escalator thing going up into the light in the ceiling or whatever. They think that's heaven. And, but yeah, like in the Old Testament, the word that, that we translate to hell is shale, which is like the murky depths yeah. of death. 
Yeah. But Jesus introduces this different word that we translate hell, but it's literally Gehenna, which is a physical place. If you look this up in Google Maps, it's in the Valley of Hinnom, and it's a place where they burned trash, and lepers went there because they mm-hmm. were rejected from the city. Mm-hmm. And so the Old Testament view of hell and the New Testament view of hell are actually not the exact same thing, but we just use the same word. Yeah. Yep. And so we think that like hell is down, then there's here, then there's heaven. But that's not the Christian perspective. Well, and, and, and scripture, like, it just meets people where they're at. So, like, when Jesus ascends into heaven, like, in Acts, it says that, like, he ascends and, like, he gets obscured by a cloud. I mean, essentially, that's just, like, that's how people understood it. And so they're like, okay, we're just going to, we're not going to mess with that right now. We got other things to worry about. We're not going to mess with that. But that's kind of this idea of being a stacked. Um, and then one other thing on this part before we get into five, um, this whole idea of um, at the end here in like 10, we going back to the 24 elders, falling down before him who sits on the throne, worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne. Guys, this is like, if you believe in Jesus, follow Jesus, this is you. You're in the scene. Um, like God refers to his people as a kingdom of priests. And I realize there are people that are like called into being in a priesthood or called into being like reverence, but like God looks at all of you that way. Like if you are following Jesus, like not that that's why you're in it. Like, Oh, I'm excited to get a crown someday. And you sometimes hear people say that they'll be like, I helped an old lady across the street. There's another jewel in my crown. Like sometimes you'll hear people say that. Like, that's not why you do that stuff. Like, who, like you're in With Russell and he's getting his old badges. Yeah. Well, like you're in heaven. So like we're all in heaven. Like, it's not like the cheap seats of heaven and like the good seats in heaven. It's just heaven. Well, I got wings and you did. Yeah. I mean, that's not the point. But it's more just like an encouragement because, again, like most of the church at this point are very poor. And they're really like barely feeding their families. And now you're sitting on a throne and you have this authority with Jesus. Like it's meant to be like this book really is supposed to be a book of hope. Even though there's a lot of like crazy things that are going to happen, it's supposed to be an encouragement to be like, hey, just stick with it. Like I know that this is not easy to follow Jesus. It's not easy to to live this life, but have hope because it's worth it. I mean, that's really, if I were to like summarize Revelation, is to say like, hang in there. Just hang in there. All right, so we get into five. This is wild. Man, it's great. It's great stuff. Um, just take a minute, read through five on your own without me being a narrator, and just... Take note of what you read, and then we're going to talk about that in a minute. So go ahead on your own and just kind of like we just did. Go through and just read on your own. Just chapter 5. It's only uh, it's only a few verses, like 12 verses. Or so. Man, my eyes are – got to get bigger font. 